0: Hi, everyone. It's Ed Clancy here. Welcome to the Pursuit Line podcast. We're going to be talking about everything high performance. We've got some really interesting guests. We're going to be speaking to them about what's drove them to success, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Hope you enjoy.
1: Here we go, Ed. Another edition, and tonight... Colin Jackson mate.
0: I know a bit of a superstar isn't he? I met him just after the Olympics so I was already in a bit of a funny place and I walked into the question of sports studio the green room and lo and behold there was Colin Jackson sat there on his own as you'd expect I hadn't read the brief so I had no idea he was going <laughs> to be there and uh, I obviously said hello introduced myself because you know unless he's a keen cyclist I've no idea who I am. I had a little bit of banter and sort of kept talking to him quite interested in like the afterlife at that point and you know, a fellow like himself might transition from being such a successful athlete, you know, when you see it, at least on the outside, you know, such a successful person in the non-athletics world. And I found that quite interesting. So naturally, I was digging into questions and asking for his advice. And here he is on the podcast.
1: Yeah, great stuff. And we'll get into actually what he said to you. It'd be interesting to see what his memories are, yeah. because you're saying, you know, you, <laughs> unless he's a keen cyclist, he doesn't yeah. know who I am. But it'd be interesting because I think all but well, certainly a lot of athletes, they're sports fans, aren't they? So they would have watched the Olympics. And yeah, yeah, I think he's done.
0: Is it going to be cycling? I'm not sure, but we'll potentially get in. He won't even remember who I am.
1: <laughs> yeah, I've only agreed to come on your pod because that other guy's Welsh.
0: That's the connection there—the little guy that nobody knows in the corner. And to be fair, he seemed like a genuinely nice guy. And it was one of those situations where he didn't have to speak to or anything like that. So,
1: the but the research I've done is that I think that's what comes across. I think he's supposed to be really grounded. He's a really nice guy and approachable. And
0: yeah, I think there's um this misconception in the sort of world of show business and personalities, if you like, that. They're not always nice people, but I think it's probably the opposite. You know, people that sort of get into those finite amount of positions, you know, dancing on ice, contracts with the BBC. So I think 99 times out of 100, they're decent people.
1: And I think out of that, 99 times out of 100, they're kind and nice people. But I think it only takes that one time where, you know, you're tired, you're fatigued, you're in a rush yeah. You're under pressure and somebody goes, you know, can I have an autograph or can I have a quick phone? And you go, look, okay, I haven't got time, I've got to go. Yeah. I haven't got time, I've got to go. And all of a sudden then you're tarred by that five-second interaction yeah, yeah, rather yeah. than, for Colin's perspective, you know, 40 years
0: yeah, yeah. in the public eye. I'm guaranteed there'll be somebody there with a phone to capture them all as well. <laughs> these <laughs> Especially days, in these it. days, yeah. will yeah. it on Twitter.
1: They'll on Twitter and they will be on YouTube within 30 seconds just to get some likes and comments. Yeah. So what I'm looking to get out of it today is I want to really learn a little bit more about the man, really. I mean, I think his record and his career speaks for itself that's covered a lot online again looking at my research i found a lot of stuff i want to know what it was like in terms of performing under pressure what was his highs what was his lows what was it like transitioning from an athlete into as you keep calling it and this definitely sticks with me the afterlife of being that athlete and the transition and then being a businessman and a tv personality they're very different aren't
0: they yeah big time yeah you know already i'm only a few months into it and we speak daily so you know how different it's been for me but because he really did come from superstardom you know he was a big hitter in one of those periods of time when we didn't have dozens of Olympic gold medalists so you know he was a big deal and you know he's ended up as a big deal in something completely different so I'm sure he's got principles of high performance you know have served him well both of his time as an athlete and in the afterlife and obviously it's his people skills as well that I believe is probably given him a period of time at the top of what he does looking forward to meeting yeah, him yeah
1: looking forward to chatting with him so let's get on with it then let's have a chat with Colin Jackson eh?
0: Colin Jackson, thanks so much for being here. I was a bit starstruck when I saw you in the green room prior to doing the question <laughs> of sport. It's a few months ago now. It was one of those bizarre life moments when you sat in a room with Colin Jackson, just me and you. And as tempted I was to sort of sit there on my hands, I was like, this is an opportunity. So <laughs> I, <laughs> I dared to open a mouth and I reached out and you're a lovely fella. So thanks so much for your conversation then. Thanks so much for being here. To sort of take the listeners on the journey I was quite interested at that point in time, as I still am, on transition, you know, from being an athlete, going into the afterlife. And I know of your great success as an athlete, and I know even more about your great success off the track in the afterlife. As you'd imagine, I took the opportunity to ask you, you know, what advice you had for me. And you had the best advice, Colin. You said two (laughs) things. It was number one, take your time. Number two, be forgiving of yourself when you're not brilliant at things to begin with. Thanks for that. And I guess my question to you is, how did you find it? How did you find your transit in life? <laughs> afterlife? Do you know what?
2: It's really interesting you say about us meeting in agreement in that sense, because it was quite funny because when I sat down and I saw you coming in I was thinking oh he's
1: just retired
2: and I know what he's
1: thinking about all these things (laughs) (laughs)
2: so I was inside giggling to myself thinking oh bless bless but you know
0: (laughs) I'm glad you were having a good time I've never been more nervous (laughs) honestly mate yeah pulling my hair out missing
2: sleep no but you know what it was because I've been through it in that sense and because I've been through the whole process I totally understood your anxieties and that's why it always made me smile you know when we were chatting about stuff i was thinking no no you got your head on me the thing i want to really say to you then and also now is you've got something you don't become a champion by just sitting on your backside doing nothing you've got in you this drive this determination this ability to focus to engage in things you already show that you've got a passion. And when you're strictly focused on it, you will deliver. So when you've got that as your backup anyway, which is your natural human nature, and then adding to that, which I feel you're struggling with, with charm and wit and good luck, <laughs> you know, all the other stuff that I got, you know. <laughs> <I'm> um, <not. laughs> the chances are you can go somewhere, you know, to be totally yeah, yeah. honest. So I saw what you're going through and it was quite exciting for me to see that because all i want to see now is to see you achieve and get bigger and better in your afterlife is the word i want to use your sporting career was one thing and you park that aside now and it's great history now that sporting career what that has given you is a stepping stone three or four places above others who will be coming to people and to be speaking to people with the same ideas with the same concepts you know There is not saying there's nothing new under the sun. I mean, we never try to reinvent stuff. We're just kind of tweaking stuff or bringing another side to the same old things. What you have got, what you've gained from your notoriety in sport and your success in sport is a couple of steps ahead of everybody else. And so it's easy for me to say now, because I've been through it, but it's difficult for you to believe because I know even though you're striving for it, it hasn't quite got to where you want it to be yet. But be patient take your time because it will get there. The beginnings when I retired as well, I really struggled because I didn't know what I wanted to do with myself. All I knew was that I was an athlete from as long as I can remember to the age of 36. And then I realized, oh gosh, if I have 36 more years living on this planet, what am I going to do to fill that time? I couldn't see what I was good at or where I was gonna go. I didn't have any direction because I didn't know what I wanted to do. I had nothing that gave me the same passion as I had for my sport. So that's where I thought I was gonna struggle a little bit to find my niche in this world. And it did now. that some of my best friends would say to me, ah, you're somebody today, but you're nobody tomorrow because you've retired, right? <laughs> Great friends. And I tell you, and even though they say that tongue-in-cheek, like yeah. you take a little bit of it on board. You think to yourself, mm, you know, they are right. I have to go back to the beginnings of everything. And, you know, I was at the very top, the height of my profession. And yeah. now I've got to start something at zero. So it was stressful. It was an anxious time. But getting advice from lots of good people around me who had been through the same old process, it definitely, definitely helped. And you already got some great mentors around you. Great fellow Welshman, that's the most important thing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess that was one of his bad points, to be honest. He's it, not too bad, yeah. I hate to think about how many people have offended right now, but um, everybody loves the Welsh. You know, in terms of that passion you had for being an athlete, do you feel like you've ever sort of found that in the afterlife?
2: No, no, and I tell you why I haven't had that real passion, because I don't focus on one thing. When I was doing my sport, I only had one focus, and it was getting out the blocks as fast as I can and covering the distance as quickly as I can. That was my focus. You did everything to get to that. Now, I don't wanna say I'm spread thinly, but because I have five or six projects that I work on that I evenly kind of spread my time, I'm passionate about delivering the best of me in each of those projects, but not necessarily I have an overwhelming passion where I just only want to focus on this one idea and this one concept.
0: Yeah, you know what? I think that's the one thing I'm sort of really struggling with, Colin, is because, particularly in cycling, it's such a weird little niche thing that I did for so Mm. long. And you don't realise it at the time, but I sort of honed and developed that weird little niche to a really high standard in hindsight. Mm. And then it overnight it sort of became irrelevant, if that makes sense. And a little bit like yourself, I've got sort of like four or five different projects and I believe everything you've said, Colin, about, you know, the sort of characteristics <laughs> and traits that will hopefully get me there, you know, in the yeah. future to be a master of those four or five things that I'm trying to do. But right now, I somewhat feel like I'm a little bit of a jack of all trades and yeah. absolutely a master of zero. Yeah.
2: And the problem is, because you've been a master of one, you find it really difficult to be a jack of all trades. But you could be a jack of all trades and be 90% the athlete, you know, yeah. and 90% yeah. is excellent. There's no two ways about it. And if you give 90% to all those projects, that's absolutely fine. Because I'm telling you, it's impossible to give 100% to all of those. And I generally mean impossible. You have to shake them off and just focus on one if you want to give 100%. Mm. But when you have the opportunity now to really spread your wings and really put your stamp on things that you've had an interest before, that you feel you can influence in a positive light... Then why not do that? Why just be so selfish and just keep it to work? Lots of people want to be engaged with you, so don't shove them aside. Just be excellent at lots of things, buddy.
0: That's great. i never thought we'd get Colin Jackson on the podcast and trying to help me. What a legend!
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I'll throw it in there. Good Welshman, isn't he? Yeah, You've got a lot <laughs> exactly. of love to give. Love to give. To <laughs> Absolutely, come round me. Colin, I think the difference for me is when you're a professional athlete and you've got that one specialist event that you've both narrowed down, it's black and white. It's about you versus the clock and the fastest person wins. And it was the same for you in team pursuit. Mm. When you leave that, you enter a world that's fully grey. I like that's what you're saying where you were in worlds of hundreds, if not thousands of a second was making the difference between medals and life changing sort of situations. Whereas actually you don't have to be at that top 1% to be very good at a lot of things. And also you can't master everything unless you're going to give it that 100% focus and sacrifice everything else. Because the one thing you two have definitely done is sacrificed everything to have that focus. Does that resonate with you, Colin, in terms of your career? Absolutely. You're spot on in that sense. One of the things that
2: I've learned since retirement from sport, and I seriously mean this, lots of people hate me for saying this, but I really believe like 80% of all life around me people are relying on fake it till you make it right (laughs) Whilst in our particular sports there was no faking you could not brag to somebody that oh i've done all this training so i'm gonna win (laughs) yeah okay you've done all this training let me see you win (laughs) you know so there's no faking till you make it in sport in that sense because if you do start to fake it you're out quite quickly and you get exposed But in this world of whatever, I mean, media stuff or fluff, those gray areas, a lot of people are really seriously faking it until they make it. And you've got to really take that on board and understand. So there'll be a challenge that someone will throw at you and you go, well, I can't do that yet. But actually say yes to it and take on the challenge because I guarantee you, you'll be able to do it. Fake it as long as you can. Disguise it with all the other things that you've learned, you know, the traits that you have. And I'm telling you, it's not fake then, because you'll actually be delivering more than their expectation of you. So that grey area can be dodgy, but once you understand it, you can definitely
0: navigate yourself through it. I agree with that. There's no faking it in sport, that's for sure. This is something that sort of cropped up in a conversation with Dave Smith on a previous podcast, and... There's so many bakers out there these days, you know, giving it all that on you know, Or oh, the gurus. Yeah, the gurus yeah, yeah, online. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, how many people really live that life and sort of like adhere to those sort of standards that they sort of profess?
1: Yeah, you know, and, and I'll give you a really good example. There's one person, they were on stage and they were saying, right, I'm the greatest salesperson in the world. And they said, do you know why? Because I said I am. And I think that's true. But actually, mm-hmm. let's have a look behind the look at the data from an athlete perspective. Let's look at the evidence mm-hmm. behind that. What have you actually achieved? <laughs> Right, okay, you haven't actually got a business. <laughs> so, yeah. but, you know, but, but you, you can hide and, you know, put a mask over that on social media, can't you? To just try and draw yeah. people in and into your own little world. And yeah. that's the link for me for good, effective business, consultancy, you know, motivational, inspirational talks. You get a feel for that when people walk away because it's evidence-based. Yeah.
0: Mm, it's not absolutely. just something that's
1: out in Instagram or Facebook or Twitter. It's mm. real and it's tangible and there's evidence to back it up. No, spot on.
0: Could we talk a little bit about your career, Colin? no. You're athletic. No. Course, no Do you like talking
2: about it? Do you like talking about it? I don't mind. I mean, it's my history, isn't it? And I wouldn't be speaking to you today if I didn't have that history. So yeah. for me, sometimes I don't believe my own career. Um, and, yeah. and other times people have to remind me of stuff. And I realize when I'm remembering, I'm actually remembering a memory I can't really remember the action. You <laughs> see what I, mean? yeah, I So agree. people will talk about something. And I go, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh God, what is that again? Oh yeah, I remember the race, the competition. I can't remember the feel. I can't really speak of it the same way I did when I was a competing athlete. Is it because you're so
1: busy living the life of an athlete that you race, win, lose, draw, and you move on to the next one? You've always got a move target. You move yeah. on to the next thing. So you actually become disassociated with that because you're not living and breathing it, because you're moving the next one, if that makes sense. So when you're trying to memorise it, you're remembering the memory or maybe a YouTube video rather than the actual event? No, i put it down to just being old. <laughs> uh, and that's another, <laughs> that's,
2: another, that's another thing altogether. But you know, you are actually right. For me, I was very goal-focused all the time. So once I ticked off a goal, I'd move on. So if there's a world championships I'd win a world title and I'd be on the plane as soon as I can because I knew Zurich was in five days' time, or I knew Dazan would be in eight days' time. So I need to get back and get back on the bandwagon, get back focused, get back training. everything in order ready to continue so yeah but in the same breath i still remember you know lots of my statistics and how fast i run Mm. sometimes i'd even be able to remember what the wind reading was you know in a race so you get slightly obsessed with the detail as well because you're going to use the detail to prepare the next race
0: how did it all start colin because i'm well aware that my generation and you know myself i had it easy It's never easy, is it? You know, trying to win Olympic medals, world championships, and so on. But (laughs) the lottery funding made it more accessible. And you see that in the amount of medals that we win these days. And, you know, for a fellow like yourself, how do you go about making it happen when you haven't got the might of British cycling, the lottery funding behind you?
2: Well, you make it yourself. You know, you have an internal desire to succeed. And having that internal desire will drive you through to anything. You know, I mean, I was lucky, you know, if you think about it. So I started doing athletics. It wasn't even my first love. Cricket was my first love. And I was playing for the county as a 15-year-old, and I was running for my country as well in the same era. So both summer sports, as you can see. And what happened was there was a cricket match and an athletics competition on the same day. The cricket match was three hours drive away. The athletics competition was five minutes walk from my house. So I did the athletics instead of playing the cricket because I wanted to get home to watch Grange Hill. And that's the truth. So <laughs> it was the reason why I ended up doing athletics and i never play cricket again. And then because you have that inner drive, like this is what I want to do, then you just kind of ride with it, you know. I remember asking my mum and dad when I was 17. So I joined my coach, Malcolm at 16. And I remember at 16, him saying to my dad at the time, oh, he'll definitely make the next Olympic Games, meaning Seoul, Korea, the Olympic Games, because I joined him at the end of 1983. But actually, I qualified for Los Angeles Olympic Games in 84. And my coach wouldn't let me go because he said I was too young. So as a 17-year-old, so he said, you're not going. Well, what could I say? I was 17. I used to listen to my coach in those days. That changed after five years. But hey, at the time, I was still a listing athlete, a developing athlete. And so I remember once I had that initial qualification for the Olympic Games, I remember saying to my mom and dad, Oh, can I become a full time athlete? And they were like, Well, you talking about full time athlete. There's no money in athletics, there's no such thing as a full time athlete. And I said, Well, can you just support me a little bit and see what happens? And they said, Oh, we'll make a decision. And after a couple of days they made the decision that they'll support me up until the age of 21 and they say if i make it by 21 then off you go but if you don't make it then it still gives you time to go back to college to learn and
0: so by the time um, you 21 you'd already won a silver medal at least in the commonwealth's right by 21 i was
2: world junior champion commonwealth silver medalist yeah. world bronze medalist <laughs> olympic silver medalist yeah. <laughs> so it was all right and from there on in i was getting paid to race yeah so as soon as i won got medals at the majors i was like on $5,000 a race, and $5,000 a race in the 80s, it was quite a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Especially for a young boy who was just a teenager, coming out with teenagers teenager. The cars, the
1: clothes, everything <laughs> was coming <laughs> out. I bet Lan Eden didn't know what made it.
2: <laughs> I moved to Roe Park then. <laughs> <laughs>
0: there you go. That's a big one in Cardiff. You move the North Park, you've made it. Big time. Did you have any like, philosophies or principles of high performance that separated you from the competition? Because, you know, to put things in perspective, I was all right at riding a bike. But by the time I'd left the building on my final day, my world record had been broken. Your stud stands for how long? 13 years, is it?
2: Yeah, yeah. I think, oh God, yeah, with the world record. I mean, it was just my best. And every time I went to a competition, like everybody else, you tried to improve your best performance. It just happened that mine was the best in the world. That was irrelevant to me. To me, it was like, it's my PB. And every race I want to go, I want to get as close to my PB as I possibly can or beat it if I can. So having the world record and owning it for all that period of time was great. And then, of course, when you retire from your sport with the world record, because there's nothing else you can do, you can't carry it all the time. I'm not performing anymore. So when you retire with the world record, then, yeah, you can't ask any more. So, yeah, I was happy.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And sort of physiologically, do you feel like mm-hmm. you were a bit of a freak of nature? I met Jonathan Edwards once as well. And he's got into his cycling, at least he had done at that point in time. And we were talking about about cycling numbers and he's quite a slight bloke, isn't he? And when you think of fast twitchers, at least I think of big, broad, sort of muscle bound blokes, but he's quite a tall, slim sort of thing. But he said he's pure fast twitch. And when he started talking about his peak power numbers on the bike, so 1600, 1650 watts peak power, that's a lot for a lightweight fellow. And I guess you'll be the same.
2: You'll be just pure switch. Yeah, myself and Jonathan were quite on par in that sense into weight power ratio back in the day. So we always used to laugh about it because like we were the smallest in the team, much bigger than us. So, you know, our weight to power ratio was pretty good. But Jonathan didn't suffer the same way as me because I was on the track with people and I was tiny compared to most of my rivals who were like six four, six five, 6'5", and, and there's me standing at five and ten and a half, you know, looking at these people like this, thinking, <laughs> oh, God. Uh, um, but I wish I had a little bit more size to be a bit more intimidating instead of just being a whippet and just, like, you know, being stealth-like over the barriers.
1: <laughs> I tell you what the biggest intimidation was, your times. I think that was enough. <laughs> Again, it's facts, isn't it? Just beat the numbers, doesn't matter yeah, how big true. you are. It's a lazy correspondence, but it's like golf. Look, golf's going through a phase at the minute where it's all about how far you can hit the ball. Yeah. So it's a bit of an ego thing, really. But actually, the game's not about how far you hit the ball, it's how many shots you take. And obviously, sure. running was the same. It's not about how big you are and how big your six-pack and your guns are. It's about well, how fast can you get over the line? And but you know, as an athlete,
2: you want it all. I want to look the best. I want to have the six-pack, the best of <laughs> the for the biceps. Uh, I want it all in
0: Yeah, be it. <laughs> You're still on it now, are you, Colin? You still stay fit now, right, don't you?
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I love it. I don't have the same obsession as I had when I was a competing athlete, obviously, because there's not the need. I've certainly accepted that I build fitness into my lifestyle. Generally, it has to take paramount in my life. So even in front of my work, it has to be the most important thing, because if I'm not in the best state for myself, then I can't produce the best for anybody else. So it's really important for me to make sure that I'm in decent shape all the time. And also, it gives me a good sense of mental well-being when I've done my workouts and I I feel good about myself.
0: Yeah, you know what? It's a book called Exercised, I believe it's called. And I've only started reading it, to be fair, and I'm yet to get into the depths of it, but... I believe there's some decent research to suggest that it is rather good for your sort of endorphins and all that and feeling good. And, you know, as soon as I finished going, I just couldn't think of anything worse than getting my bike out of my garage, you know, especially when the the weather was turning worse. But these days, more than anything, I just go out because I know I'll feel better. I don't so much care about how I look these days or anything like that. And I don't have any sort of obsession with having a six pack, but it just makes me feel happy. So that's why I got an exercise these days. And it's only sort of like two or three times a week on the mountain bike, but it's an important thing, I think.
2: Yeah. And, you know, again, I say it's for you as the individual exercise, only you get the benefits from it, both physically and mentally. So it's one of the things I always say to people, really put it into your life because there's Mm -hmm. not many things we do in in life nowadays that you get 100% benefit. There's lots of things you do where many other people get the benefit of your endeavours, but when you do exercise, you get it all, hundred yeah. percent. So yeah, do as much or as little as
0: you feel fit. That's an interesting point, that yeah. Exercise, do it for yourself. Things about connection sometimes.
1: I mean, for you, you obviously live up in Yorkshire, Ed, and you go cycling your bikes over the mountain, and you've got all these beautiful views and up one with the wind and the rain, and you've got yeah. the same as Wales, isn't it? Yeah, Sounds I was very just similar. Saying, yeah. <laughs> But I think mm-hmm. even if you go into a fitness class, it's about the connection with other people and it's about having that social side and whether if you've got the time to have a coffee after and engage. And I think look back over the last two years, we've lost a lot of that or we lost a lot of it because of it was forced upon us. And I think that's where a lot of the country is struggling with their mental health. To your point there, Colin, I don't know if it's something you're seeing in your world.
2: Yeah, I agree. I mean, for me, lots of people say to me, "Oh, why do you have a gym in your house? Well, simple fact that gym work for me, is a social thing, it's not just about me being fit. So I love the whole project of it, even though I can work out from my house, if need be, like we have to do in lockdown, right? I proved that I could do that in that sense. So because I build in my lifestyle, I do kind of make it feel like it's a social activity just as much as a physical activity and then when speaking to lots of people during lockdown i mean i was pretty selfish in the sense that i still have a tight circle of friends and during lockdown i kind of did a zoom class with them with kettlebells so that we had a full-on exercise class in the evenings and then we'd have a little gossip after so it was like something that i built in to make sure everybody was still very much part of being connected with each other
0: that's an interesting point and I've got another sporting question for you, Colin, I wanted to ask. I've been a sports person myself. The road cycling is different because it's so much of a lottery. But even when you do the track cycling, it's quite a controlled environment. And, you know, even when part of the hailed Great Britain cycling set up and me and the boys are sort of taking on the world at that point in time, we didn't win 44 races in a row. However, you did. And that is such a ridiculous statistic in my head, that film. And I guess my question, I've always thought, because... When I see a young and -and up-and-coming rider sort of break into the sort of ranks or they might win their first pro road race and then all of a sudden it's like that success breeds success and they get sort of confidence and that almost itself just seems to enhance their ability to train and do the right things and they're no longer interested in going on the lash with the boys and all that. And just this idea of success breeds success. And I don't think I've ever seen a better example of it than 44 straight wins, Colin. You must have felt pretty unstoppable at the time.
2: Yeah, But I remember not really counting at the beginning. So you've got to start somewhere, right? It's like, it's one, and then that's two, three, four, five. And then they get 15. You're thinking, oh, yeah, I've just done 15. And then someone will say to you, oh, you know, you haven't been beaten for 15 races. You'd be like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it'd be like 25. And then you're thinking, oh, and then it becomes a thing. And people start making a big thing about it. And that's when you stop enjoying it. Because then you feel like there's a pressure of expectation on you, which you don't really want because you just want to have a good time. But it's like when the flower people who were giving out the flowers at the end of the race would go to you say, oh, what well, lane you in? And you go, oh, lane five. They go, oh, we'll just wait by lane five then. And you think to yourself, well, hang on. i got 10 hurdles I've got to clear. There's seven other people in this race who may have something to say about where those flowers are going to be given. So don't take it for granted, just because I have been winning all these times, that I am going to continue winning. It became a burden then more than it became something that was exciting and enjoyable you know, yourself as a sportsman, when there's a burden upon it, it takes away the the fun. You know, when we're riding, competing, you still yeah. want to have a laugh and a joke, and you just want it to be fun. And yeah, people feel like taking it a little bit too serious. Yeah, in that
0: Yeah, so. quite an interesting follow-up question for you, because I always probably struggled with that later on in my career, Colin, now, particularly in like the Olympics, you know, when you've had a, a couple of successful Olympics on the bounce, I almost hmm. felt that not an average result, but status quo was like going there and winning. And it's a ridiculous that's expectation it. to have.
2: Yeah, that's Same it. You, expect you know, to go, to go there and
0: win your 42nd race <laughs> in a row, your 43rd. It's just a ridiculous thing to try hard not to expect that of myself. But I guess that's well, one of the things like coping with success, isn't it? You're right.
2: Being successful and being a champion is normalised. So you can't go below that norm. Because if you do, everybody seems to be like absolutely cursing you off. But then you think to yourself, hang on one minute. Is second best in the world that bad? Really? Is it that bad? You know, there's not many places or people on this planet that can ever say that they're the second best in the world. So you go from an Olympic gold to Olympic silver, or you go from first to third or fourth, don't ever let anybody have the audacity to chastise you and say, oh, well, you know, you've fallen from grace. What, fourth best in the world is hopeless, is it? I didn't realise, <laughs> you know. So it's also managing that in your mind. Now I'm telling you that, now you must probably look at it slightly different, go, actually, yeah, you're right, right? But somebody's got to tell you this and articulate yeah. it to you. So you believe and you understand how good
0: you are. Yeah. Power of reframing things, isn't it, Phil? Something Phil did with me a lot, you know, when I was a cyclist and even, you know, honestly in the afterlife as well, he probably does it more often when I have a big crisis. And I think I just... <laughs> I'm rubbish at this, but I guess it's just because you're sort of used to having such a high bar, but... Seriously, you're not rubbish at it, you're new to it, and that's the difference. I like it. You
2: know, if you're taking on in something that's new that you've not done before, you're new to it, you're not rubbish at it.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, true, yeah.
2: If you get into your head, right, how long it took you to be excellent as a cyclist, if you apply that to busy, you've got such a long time to go, it's just crazy. But it won't take as long because you've already got life behind you. You've got life experiences and like I said to you before, you've got so many great traits that you're taking on forward with you that it'll take quarter of the time. It took you to be a great cyclist, to be great in your, whatever your chosen divisions will be.
0: Yeah. You're good at this, Colin. I'm going to, Give your number out right live on it. Is <laughs> Any retired athletes? Bring <laughs> up Colin Jackson for a pep talk. They absolutely fly along. There's been a lot of said in the press though, hasn't there, recently about sort of transition athletes and things like that. But, um, yeah,
1: yeah, I don't think there is enough support for them, to be honest. And I think that. It's getting better, as always. It certainly must be so much better now, Colin, than when you retire and you had to probably find your own way. And I would have thought you probably made a few mistakes and few the wrong decisions to know where you wanted to go. I mean, could you share some of that with us?
2: Yeah, for me, my biggest problem was saying yes to everything because I was so terrified of saying no. And so if I said yes to everything, it means I had a chance of something. And that's because I didn't know what I could do or what I was capable of doing. I think now where I am in my life, I say no far more (laughs) and i say yes nowadays which is one of the most liberating things that you can actually ask for when you can just happily turn things down and you don't have to give a reason why it's no because it's no So that would be the first thing I would have said. But also, I didn't really have anybody to talk to about retirement in the world of sport, even though some of my good friends had retired in sport. But we never actually sat down like this in this kind of environment and sat down and just chatted about things. Nowadays, I think this is one of the best things that are available is what we're doing right now. You know, when Ed popped into the green room with a question of sport, I was like the veteran of question of sport. I mean, they even gave me a flaming potty plant to tell me how many I'd done, right? (laughs) So I got so much experience just in that as well. So it's those type of things that you just look at yourself and it changes every single year. But you will be that time when you will get confident enough to say no. I wouldn't say it was a mistake for me always saying yes about stuff, but it was taxing and it was tiring because you find out then there were things that you assign yourself up for that you absolutely had no desire to do. But because <laughs> you're the person you are, you see it through. You're still competitive, aren't you, Colin? I don't know if I'm competitive. I always just want to do the best bit of me. So that means I'll always be competitive myself in that sense. Mm. If I was playing a tennis match against some of my friends, of course I'd want to win because I'd want to win because I know I can beat them.
0: So that's yeah. why they win. Yeah. I got a sense of that on question of sport. I remember there's a big curtain and we were all sort of stood behind it before we walked in front of the crowd and you were stood in front of me and I saw you take a couple of sort of deep breaths and I was like, he's not nervous but he wants to do a good job here and just what you said there I could tell you just wanted to do your best you could in yeah. that situation yeah, yeah
2: yeah do the best I mean that's yeah. all you can ask for it's just the best of you so that when I left the show I knew well you know what I couldn't do any more or if I don't know an answer to a question sell la vie it's the way it goes isn't it
0: yeah you've got to <laughs> take that approach when you're me on question of sport Colin yeah no doubt about that how many questions did I get right I might have got one and a half Maybe got two questions, Dad. right? But I think I convinced my team that I knew the answer on at least three occasions. And it depends which version make you're it till you watched it. Make <laughs> it till you make it. <laughs> it didn't work then. Bless <laughs> I don't think Sam was best pleased with that motorsport question Yeah, got wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you were
1: really confident that. I'm So confident, <laughs> Colin. I have wrote down three words here, and it's absolutely no surprise to me that they sort of resonate with everything about you. It's drive, motivation, and commitment. Is that something that's the epitome of your career, do you think, on the track and off it?
2: Yeah, 100%. And I'm proud of that. You know, I think sometimes lots of people are slightly worried about how they would describe themselves or how they got to the top of the game. But I would be happy to say that I think those three words certainly have huge resonance with me. And I would believe that all of those go hand in hand to make it to the top of my game. My mother would tell me that it's her genetics as well, which kind of would just bless me, you know, just sugar dusted it all. But I'd say, nah, ma'am, it's my hard work, love. My my (laughs) driver's commitment to it all. That's what made those sugar (laughs) come to life. So yeah.
1: More conversations, certainly the last three or four months, Ed and I have been having around this. You have to have a certain selfish streak in you to be at the top of sport. You have to have it. You have to be sort of ruthless in your decision making. You value your time, your energy, your recovery. Because you have to, because it is literally tough at the top. Did you have a challenge that when you retired, you no longer had that excuse to be selfish? Do you know what I mean? In terms of, well, that was sport. I put everything first. And now it's, oh, well, maybe I should have more time for my family. Other opportunities. Because it was a conversation we had today, is what I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah. Was this something that you went through? Uh, No.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Because, you know, I think they're just your traits. They are you they will make me. What the difference is, is where you place all those different things, you know? So you still will be selfish, but you'll be selfish in a slightly different manner because the exposure to your sport allowed you to be selfish in that sense. Well, if I was going to a supermarket or going to a gas station to fill up or whatever, I wouldn't need to be selfish. I just can There's no problem with it because I know I'm going to get the petrol. I know I'm going to get the food. I know I'm going to get served. Whilst when you're competing in that sense, you're not sure you're going to get to the top. So you need everything around you to help you get to the top. And you need to understand you need everything around you. So you take it off because you have this overriding desire to succeed. So I will still have that selfish streak in me, but I won't necessarily need to show it in everyday life. And that goes for all the other things that I do, how I say motivated or I'm dedicated or I'm committed or, you know, I have a drive for something. They're all there in me, but I only use them when it's necessary. Yeah the, point yeah.
1: the other thing that was crossing my mind was you were saying that there wasn't any conversations for you when you retired because we didn't have those conversations. And another thing that we're certainly getting better at now, certainly as us blokes, is talking about our mental health. Has there been any periods where you've struggled as an individual or you haven't been able to talk about it?
2: yeah i think so on lots of different occasions certainly in the world of sport you know i ended up having an eating disorder courtesy of this real obsession to get to the top of the game you know there was certain things i knew i wasn't going to do so i wasn't going to take drugs or anything like that to get me to the top but i knew that if i could increase my basic weight power ratio then that would definitely help my sport but then because you have that obsession you go too far and yet again I didn't have the guidance really to help me through so obsession to succeed became an ugly thing it wasn't something that was really positive so that was really difficult for me to really deal with in my career most probably that was the toughest thing because people would see that you were quite slim and that you weren't eating that much and all this business but nobody would really come and speak to you about it And you definitely wouldn't want to open up about it. Because thinking back, I always think this is my problem. This is what I'm dealing with. And it's got nothing to do with anybody else. And I want to do what I want to do because it's me. So adding to that as well, being a champion, that of course allowed me to have that sense of arrogance about my own personal story. Because if anybody wanted to come and challenge me, I could go, have you got any medals? Have you got world records? No. So whatever I'm doing is the right thing for me again that's the wrong attitude but it was the only attitude i felt would work for me at that particular moment in time on reflection Goodness gracious, I wish I hadn't. I really wish I hadn't. And I could have spoken to somebody and I could have had a proper balanced eating regime, which would have made me more energized and made me a far nicer person to be around. Because we all know what it's like when people are hungry. You kind of get angry when you're hungry as well. I had to kind of deal with that as well, which was not always cool.
0: Tell you what. It's an interesting point, and it's something that does happen in cycling as well, you know, and I've had teammates in the past that have had problems, and again, you know, when you're in a team of lads, it's something you don't speak about, and I think the ugly truth is not so much for the track riders like myself, where you're lucky enough that the bike bears all the weight for you, and it's just sort of simple power versus aerodynamics equation, but, you know, for the road riders that have to sort of win hilltop finishes and outdoors, it's a tough one, and... I'm not sure where the answer lies because I think the ugly truth is to some extent, the hungry riders win races that finish at the top of the hills.
2: Yeah, it's hard because they shouldn't be. There's really no need to, but yeah. until you get truly convinced as the individual that you will make it if yeah. you have three meals, don't worry. And you yeah. will make it if you pack in 10,000 calories because the amount of training you're doing will absolutely obliterate it, but it's all up here. And yes. you don't believe that. And unfortunately, if you don't have somebody to have the conversation with you, then it's going to be difficult because then you blame your success or your failures on your intake of food. So if all of a sudden I had 10,000 calories one day and I lost the race, then it was because I had 10,000 calories. Mm. But if I had 1,500 calories and I set a world record, it's because I had 1,500 calories. (laughs) So there was no reason to my thinking it was just shocking, but I had no expert next to me to talk me through it. And I yeah. guess that's where I kind of suffered.
1: Yeah, there's a direct correlation there. It's that power to weight again, isn't it? In terms of, you know, trying to be as quick yeah. as you can, as lean as you can, and get there as fast as you can, with certainly the road cyclists going up the mountain. But yeah. What about your experience, Ed, in terms of eating disorders or mental health challenges within, you know, elite cycling?
0: Is it something that you've sort of seen or- Yeah, all too often I speak to friends that are still riding bikes and I did this myself, you know, a long, long time ago to start my career. The number on the scale in the morning almost becomes your metric for success and back then you know before you've really got a grasp on how the world works you sort of base your self-esteem your confidence everything on, put the number on the scale So at the start of day. and You know what Colin said, you're, it's almost like confirmation bias. If you have a great day and you've been light on the scales that morning, it reinforces what you think you already know. And it's like, I've had a great day because I was light this morning. And the next day you might completely run out of energy after two and a half hours or whatever it is, but you'll just dismiss that on the grounds of, I don't know, something else, or you were tired rather than the fact that you simply didn't have any food. Mm. To slippery slope, well, I think it's getting more prevalent in the sort of pro road cycling ranks. I don't know what the answer is. People have to have got to be educated. They've got to want to buy in as well. They've got to believe that there is an alternative to being hungry all the time. We
1: need to get off this short-termism approach. It's got to be sustainable approach. To all of you, you know, elite athletes, if you burn those matches, if you don't have enough calories, it takes you days to recover. So therefore, when you're training, you're not getting the full benefit from it. And science tells us this. And we've got to allow science and facts to win us over rather than that emotion and that competitive conversation with our colleagues and teams and competitors.
2: But I think we need to educate really early, get into the youngsters really early so they understand what they're doing and get a nutritionist. I don't know why they haven't pulled people like me and you in to talk to youngsters who are up and coming. And say, don't fall down that path. Yeah, I was successful, but trust me, I'd have been so much better if I'd have had 1,000 more calories a day. I mean, I'd have been obscenely fast. I mean, I was fast enough, but I would have been obscenely fast. And I have those regrets today now mm-hmm. because I know I'd have been a much better athlete You know, I wouldn't have had so many injuries for a start, you know, because that's all linked to to your nutrition in that sense. I'd have had more energy. I'd have been a better person to be around. I would have enjoyed my sport so much more. And certainly as I was getting more and more successful, I wouldn't have adopted this business-like attitude with it because I was hungry, you know. (laughs) (laughs) I I could have had a good time and I would have enjoyed my youth. It is a part of your life you can never get back again. So Mm. you should really, if you can, enjoy it.
0: Yeah, I love that. Oh, it's great advice. And again, we'll be giving your phone number out at the end of (laughs) them.
1: Yeah, for those watching on YouTube, just
0: drop them into the comments. You'll see.
1: (laughs) Last few questions, Colin, if we may. Yeah. What is it about you that's sort of allowed you to be successful off the track? Because you are a household name, you're a TV personality. You know, for me as a Welshman, it's extremely proud of everything you've done. and, And everybody looks up to you on TV. You're always beaming, you're always smiley, you're one of those sort of household favorites. What is it that you learned from your sporting career that you take forward for this longevity?
2: Do you know, I feel like I'm really honest. I don't try to be anybody different than I am. I mean, as you see me now, when I say bye-bye, 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 you know, if you call me in half an hour, I ain't going to change, you know? And I think honesty is always one of the most important things. And TV makes you really transparent. So I think people can see through when someone's been a little bit fakey or flaky or both. And I think people really see that. And I just kind of try to be me. And also I feel that I allow everybody around me to be human. Nobody's perfect. There is no perfect specimen on this planet. And so... Allow everybody to have those failings, I think, also is really important. And I'm happy to admit what my failings are. They're part of me. You know, you can't get just 180 of me. you got to get 360 or don't bother having any of me.
1: Yeah. I do remember a couple of times watching, I can't remember which athletic competition it was, but within the sort of review of the performance, the journalism was kicking in about we're taking one set angle on a disappointed performance of someone and you were very much like, well, hang on a minute, this could be going on or this could be going on or this could, you very much bring a rounded view of it. And likewise though, when you want to call something out, you'll call it out, you go, well, that's not quite right.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think one of the things we've got to consider, especially nowadays, life is really hard. Life ain't as easy as it was. It wasn't as two-dimensional as we used to have back in our day, where you can get up and do this and do it, and then you can just hide for the rest of the time. You've got to have a life that everybody's got to have something to say about, you know, with all the social media elements in that sense. You know, you can't even put on a jumpsuit bottom without someone saying, that's rubbish, it's too tight, your backside is massive, what are you tried to sell to <laughs> me today kind of thing, you know? All this type of thing goes on. So nowadays, you've got to look at their whole life and We all know how things can affect you when you're talking at the very highest level. You cannot go into any competition 97% up there. Even Usain would struggle going in at 97% because you need to bring your best game all the time. Because if you don't, someone else does and they're very happy to take the crown off your head quickly. So it's really important for me that, yeah, you have that understanding and give them the chance to speak. But also, mind you, if I know there's nothing wrong with you and you just failed, I will give it to you. (laughs) Double barrels. (laughs)
1: <laughs> it's just saying I think, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So, what type of things are you up to now, then, Colin? And what's the future look for you? I think I read somewhere. Have you been struggling with your knees again recently from a personal perspective? Is that right? I, yeah, I mean,
2: I've been lucky enough to get them treated on stem cells. So, when my friends at the doctor kind of said to me, you should try this, you know, and see if it works. I was like, okay, well, my knees have been giving me a little grief, especially because I wasn't training so much. I hate leg days. Let's be honest someone says to you they love a leg day I feel you're lying Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I kind of would just be happy to work on a nice back and nice little six pack going on and forget the quads and I think when you've had 70 operations in your previous lifetime the cartilage the ligaments they start to grind when you're not looking after the joints to help support around it and so I kind of ignored them but lucky enough I've had three of my four doses of my cell cell treatment I just got one left then and you never know I could be back on that starting line with knees half my age
0: (laughs) (laughs) cycling's the answer Colin that's what we're missing here (laughs) no 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 no
1: fishing (laughs) (laughs) Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> definitely,
0: definitely, yeah. And what's the next thing on the
1: horizon, Colin? What's your focus on over the next sort of, six, 12 months or so? We've got a packed TV schedule
2: sport-wise, athletics. We've got world championships, common games, European championships. They will all take place in the summer. We've got world indoor championships next month in March. But also i would be kind of working on a project called Wings for Life World Run where we raise money for spinal cord injury research, which is really neglected a lot. And when you look at statistics, how people can suffer from spinal cord injuries, We shouldn't neglect it so much. So Wings for Life Foundation is the sole charity of Red Bull. So Red Bull very kindly look after all the administrative costs for our project. And so it makes that every single penny that we raise goes to Spinal Cord Research. And last year, we raised just over 6 million million euro on the running event itself, which was a great figure for us because, you know, every penny of that goes into the research. It was great.
1: Amazing. Is that the one where they run as far as they can over a set period of time? That's right it's May
2: the 8th this year so what happens is you start off running and then 30 minutes later we set the catcher car off to close you down it starts at 14 kilometres and then it goes up in increments all the time so the furthest we've had is just <sharp inhale> 70 kilometres
1: my friend won it in 2020 never British lad Michael Taylor yeah 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 for sure
2: yeah yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. 67k yeah yeah did you present yeah. him with the award or something yeah yeah, yeah yeah
2: yeah yeah. I gave him a call he couldn't believe when I spoke to him he went what Colin Jackson, I was like looking around thinking, I grabbed a mirror quick and I went, I think so. Yeah, he's yeah, a good friend of mine. Really I was cool. literally having
1: coffee with him last week.
2: Oh, fantastic. He did on. that virtue. It's fantastic.
0: This happens all the time, Colin. He just seems to know everyone. Yeah. What happened to you in Dubai last week? Oh, you did? Yeah, I was in Dubai last week and I met one of his mates out there. <laughs> That's
1: Welsh get everywhere. That's
0: Welsh get everywhere. We get and everywhere. Another Welsh on Welsh. good thing. No, no, no. Ah, <laughs> here. Yeah.
1: Brilliant, so some great stuff coming up. So people that are extremely fond of you and listening to you on this podcast, where's the best place for to keep up with Colin Jackson and what he's up to?
2: Always on my Instagram. I think people always laugh about that. People say to me, you're not supposed to use this so much as a diary. And I went, don't tell me why I should use my Instagram for. I can use it for what I want. (laughs) So if I want to use it as a diary, if people want to see who I am, then go look at Colin Ray Jackson on Instagram. And if it's not got a blue tick, it's not me.
1: <laughs> <Brilliant>. <laughs> you, and surely, if you haven't already, you've got to get a coffee deal at some point because you love your morning coffee, I say. Oh, man. Honest
2: to God. Coffee is one of the best things. It's the elixir of life, trust me. <laughs> I love coffee. Love it. Even though my doctor told me I should have so
1: much. But hey, <laughs> Brilliant. They're not
2: always right, doctors, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Colin, I think we could chat for hours about this. For me, it's been an absolute honour to chat with you and I really appreciate your time. It's been a fantastic conversation. Certainly reconfirmed a lot of things about us men having to talk more. That's one of the big takeaways and not just around mental health, but physical health as well, you know, and I'd like to thank you for sharing your story there with us. It's not always an easy thing to talk about, and I think that people like you speaking up is a massive, massive sort of thumbs up, and hopefully I'll encourage more to put their hands up and ask for help as well. So
0: thanks so much for your time from me. Colin, can't believe we've got Colin Jackson on the line, to be fair. And there's a couple of things we mentioned earlier. You mentioned the importance of saying no, and we spoke a little bit about the sort of selfish streak that fellas like me and you might have. With that in mind, thanks so much for saying yes. And, you know, from what I've seen, you've been so generous with your time today. You know, thanks for getting back to me and getting in touch. Colin Jackson, what a legend.
2: My pleasure. Always. Anytime.
0: Cheers, Colin.
1: We recorded Colin Jackson's podcast last night. You stayed overnight and here we are the morning after. Just, just we on that longer gap to reflect on it. So the morning after the night before, What's your initial thoughts and
0: reflections on the conversation with Colin? I think the things that stood out the most is that he's a nice fella, someone that's nice and humble. They're not necessarily traits you'd associate with a winner and success, but for what it's worth, I think they are. And I think being a decent person and making time for people and I don't know, just being a good bloke gets you places. And I think, you know, the way our interactions with him, you know, from the moment I met him to sort of like staying in touch and I know the sort of way he's kept in touch with me and like, you know, when we offered up this, you know, it was all over it and he was generous and kind. And I know he spoke a lot about sort of protecting himself there and, you know, being selfish and saying no to things. But he's a genuine, humble, honest, kind bloke. And I think that gets in places.
1: I agree with that. I think my immediate reflection this morning was I think it was a really timely podcast for you on the journey you're on you know in terms of time frame we've probably got six months out from Tokyo Olympics so therefore six months into your Olympic retirement and only six weeks into your formal retirement post the track champions league in December so he was really keen to talk to you directly yeah and to give you advice because he's been there and done it you know and yeah he's obviously made some mistakes and he's, he's took a lot of learnings from it but it was great timing for you and I'm just wondering if what was it he said that maybe
0: resonated with you more I think it's when he said, ah, bless, I've seen this all before. <laughs> <laughs> I think like, yeah, that sort of voice of wisdom and that he has seen it all before. He's been there, he's done it himself. And, you know, when I walked in there for that sort of little moment in question of sport in the green room, he could read me like a book. He knew I'd retired. I didn't know that at the time, but he'd obviously seen it on TV or something. You know I've been mean, keeping up and, yeah, he could read me like a book. He knew what I wanted to hear and yeah, now he's great. Like you said, as much as it was great having him on our pod for our benefit, you know, I think I really benefited from his words of advice and wisdom.
1: It was fantastic. And it gives us sort of outsiders, the non-elite sports people, a little bit of an insight into the conversations that can take place. And I think there's a gap missing, I think, in terms of helping and supporting people to transition out of elite sport. I didn't bring it up on the pod, but certainly we also had a call with uh, Jazz Carlin, the ex-Olympic and Commonwealth Swimmer, mm-hmm. about the little piece of work she's doing now with a new organisation that's trying to bridge that gap. You know, I think it switched to play where, we're trying to put a plan and a process in place for people to transition because you say it regularly it is a bit like when I left the military. You are transitioning from a certain culture and a way of thinking and behaving and a sense of belonging yeah. into a new way of living. That was the thing that come down, is that there's definitely more work to be done there, I think, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I think so. It's been in the press a lot recently, hasn't it? I believe everyone will struggle, you know, no matter how much support they get and you know how well educated they get and everything they've got planned for the afterlife. And to be fair, I'm probably quite a good example of that. I knew what I wanted to do. I knew I'd be doing this. I figured I'd still have connections with British cycling and we're doing other things amongst that. And it's still hard work. You know, I'd still had great support from British cycling, Ben Quilter, gave him a little shout out the lifestyle performance fella in British cycling. And I couldn't have really had an easier transition, but as you know, Phil, you know, we've still had some dark days and big doubts and worries before and during the afterlife. And it's not an easy thing. How much more support do we need to give people? I don't know. It's a difficult question because in my head, I do still think it's going to be a performance focused thing. And to be fair to everyone involved in that sort of afterlife process, we're there to win medals. And, you know, when I signed up to be a cyclist, when I was 17, 18 years old, nobody ever said that, you know, there's going to be a great job for you to walk into afterwards. Nobody ever said that, you know, there's going to be a big bumper pension payout when you retire when you're 36. You know, we knew that, you know, your mum always told you. So I think athletes have got to take a bit of responsibility themselves as well. I'm not saying we don't need any more support or things can't be better, but it's a combination of two, isn't it? You know, it's learning and helping support the athletes in the transition. At the same time, I think the athletes have got to remember what they signed up for.
1: Yeah, I think so. Two words that jump out for me are sort of ownership, ownership from the individual and also providing some opportunities for them and also understanding that it may be a fourth, fifth, sixth thing that you stumble into or you have a go at that actually sort of fits well with you. If you're going to accept that, that five or six time, that's going to take time. So for six, 12, 18 months, two years, you're going to be feeling a little bit lost. Yeah. And I think it's important to have that strong network of people that understand that journey you're going through, but also there to support you through that, for you to try things and yeah. it's okay not to like something.
0: Yes. That's something that came out of you know the talk with Colin yesterday. It's all right to not be brilliant at something. Mm-hmm. And that takes a bit of getting used to. Like you don't realize it at the time, but you become, same in your military life. You become very, very good. You become a someone, you know, in that world. and then. All of a sudden you're not sort of hailed and praised for that weird little niche thing that you were so good at yeah and just to
1: give people a bit of background i suppose with the military i mean you could do 6 12 15 you know 35 years of your life to you know one organization and one job role and you may have different levels of management and leadership within that but the day you come to leave it's almost like you expect like pipers down the main road you know just to be piping you out you know what i mean and (laughs) there's a big band celebrating your career but the reality is what normally happens is you go up to the equivalent of hr you hand your military id card in yeah. to some young member of staff who's probably only been in a year or two. So they don't understand what you're going through. Mm. And then they just sign it off you like you're leaving shit, as we used to call it. Yeah. And that's it, you know, you've handed all your kit back and you walk out the gate for the last time and you can't get back in because you've handed your ID card in. Wow. That's a lonely walk yeah. or drive out of that gate. I can't imagine. For the last yeah. time, you've, you've literally just given everything over. Yeah. So I think that's the crossover with the lead sport. You feel like you've lost everything. Yeah. And unless you've got something to work towards, to try, mm. It can be a very difficult time and situation. And I think as people transition into roles as well and jobs, and if they've been with an organization for a long time, they feel trapped sometimes, and it's like a prison without walls. That they're going to go. Well, I'm not happy. I don't like my boss. I don't like my manager. My job isn't fulfilling me anymore. I think I'll leave. Oh well, the grass isn't always greener. That self doubt kicks in, mm-hmm. and yeah before you know it, you've lost another three or four years of your life in a job that maybe you're not fully engaged in because you feel trapped by nothing else than your own thoughts.
0: Yeah, no, I think there's definitely a lot of parallels. Perhaps the only difference being that I'm keeping hold of my fob for the British side. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, make sure you get in the track. But it's difficult making change, isn't it? Change yeah. is difficult. And it's a great example, you know, leaving your place of being for the last, in my case, twenty years, in your case thirty dive, whatever it was, you know. And mm. Yeah, difficult but no it got me thinking why i thought it was a great podcast and what a great guy and we were just really privileged to have him on the pod didn't we absolutely yeah what a guy legend cheers colin and i hope you enjoyed listening to that guys. hey guys thanks for listening hope you enjoyed that episode come and follow us on social media just search for pursuit line your preferred platform we're on instagram youtube twitter and linkedin interact with us and let us know your thoughts catch you next time